Hello, everybody. This is Tim Burns, host of The Tim Burns Show. I am the common man with common sense and an uncommon desire to know the truth. Well, I'm not quite sure we're gonna, what we're going to do today, but I think we'll start out because California leads the way. Well, they used to lead the way, right? Ninth largest economy in the world at one point. And then all of a sudden, the, left co- the West Coast became the left coast, and it was all about government being the answer to everything. Well, this is a story I had a little while back, AP exclusive. California measure fails to create green jobs. They've been converting, haven't they? Going from old world to new world, going from fossil to green. They should be on top of it. They've got everything they need out there. Well, they don't have a landscape of economic freedom. It's so encumbered with regulations, with costs, with the time that it takes to get something done. As I mentioned before, you want to talk about a great initiative that the state of California can have? That would be salinizations, desalinization projects, turning seawater into freshwater, taking that water, not having to depend on the entire west and the rainfall and snowfall pack to be able to run downstream to California. They would be producing it themselves until the point where they'd be, even in a 10-year drought situation, they'd have plenty of water. All the farms, 90, 70, 80, 90%, sometimes 100% of certain kinds of foods are produced in California for the entire country. It makes sense. The biggest problem for California, the biggest problem in trying to accomplish something like that is what? The time it would take to just get through the regulatory process, to get through all of the environmental impact studies that would need to take place And just think if they ran into one certain kind of species that they can't find anywhere else in California, it goes on hold. Desalinization projects with what the environment is in California right now probably would take 10 to 20 years just to get approval. Well, they have failed in what they probably had as one of their number one goals. On top of that, who did they have helping them? That's right, stimulus money that went to the green energy system. Lots of those places were, lots of those companies were California. And what happened? It just shows you cannot have government entities trying to pick and choose. Who has the better mousetrap? Because they're clueless. What you need is an environment, again, whether it's a child discovering who they want to be when they grow up, or whether it's the landscape of better mousetraps from a private sector point of view, creating those better mousetraps, those are discoveries. Those are sometimes even by accident those discoveries are made. But you have to have the laboratories. You have to have those kinds of research and development projects going on in order to accidentally discover something, and that's non-existent out in California. Well, three years after California voters passed a ballot measure to raise taxes on corporations, this is how they did it. The only thing they know how to do is to raise taxes. 
is that every moment, anytime there's any prosperity, you raise taxes. You gut the landscape of economic freedom and the capital that's needed to invest. You can have a great idea and have no money. You have to go out and find the money. And that's where the wealth and the wealthy of any civilization come in. They're the ones who will fund that. They're the ones who have the risk capital, as it's known, to take a chance. They can afford to lose all their money if the better mousetrap doesn't come from that project. So they pass taxes on corp- they raise taxes on corporations and try and generate clean energy jobs by funding energy efficiency projects in schools. So we have Obama picking and choosing which companies, major companies in the green energy field to fund, and he's, he's lousy at picking them. He was lousy. I have no idea. That's got to be done now. And then you have the state of California coming up with these energy efficiency projects in schools. Barely one-tenth of the promised jobs have been created, according to this study. And the state has no comprehensive list to show how much work has been done or how much energy has been saved. You see, the results didn't matter. It was all about the initiative. It was all about feeling really good that this is a project that can work. There was no doubt in their minds that this project has to work. Why? Because we feel really good about it. And as long as you put enough secular faith into it, as long as you put enough governmental faith into it, it's got to work, right? That's not the real world. That's not the landscape upon which better mousetraps are created. So they've got the whole formula upside down. And of course, the state is a nightmare And if California didn't have the fans that it has, look, I was born and raised in California. When we came up here to Colorado, I left, we all left. Why are we leaving? We left fingernails at the border. And it's a great place to visit, but I would not want to live there again. Of course, unless I had a Malibu beach house or something like that. It's just very, very crowded to say the least. So here we have no accomplishment, no results on an initiative that, let's see here, money is trickling in at a slower than anticipated rate also. More than half of the 200, almost $300 million that have been given to schools so far has gone where? To the actual projects? No. To even... The game plan for some types of projects, even looking at which schools a project could go in. No, it's gone to the most important people, the consultants and the energy auditors. None of that money has actually made it to what the initial initiative and goals were. The board created to oversee the project and submit annual progress reports to the California state legislature has never met according to a review. You want to talk about these are the types of projects. This is a California-generated project. I'm sure 
there had to be some matching funds from the Obama administration regarding this. But nothing was accomplished. In fact, if you want to look at it on a first-level basis, on a cover-of-the-book basis, and make a calculation based on that, you'd almost think that this was a scam. This was a California government scam just to raise a bunch of money to do what? Well, those brand new bureaucrats and these brand new consultants and energy auditors, they have to be paid first, right? No accomplishment whatsoever. All right, also, I wanted to, I quickly ended on the whole idea of NASA fidgeting numbers, NOAA fidgeting numbers in order to create the kinds of statistics that they need to promote the idea that, and what we said, July of this year was the hottest on record going back to 1880. Now, I quickly went over how they come to use the kinds of statistics, what temperature gauges in what areas. And it's once again, it's proof. And if you go to timburnshow.com, I also have the other article. And let's see what it's called again. Uh, Mind-blowing temperature fraud at the NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atm- Atmospheric Administration. They're both in the same game right now. NASA needs to fidget numbers, or maybe they're actually providing the numbers to NOAA. And hand-in-hand... But because of the stature of those acronyms, those names, because NASA actually was part of getting us to the moon. Well, then there's some sort of believability. We have to completely cut our head off and believe whatever they say. Look, this is an entire scheme, as one might say, to perpetrate a fraud on not just the American people, but the people of the world and it's all about creating a one tax on everything and i mean everything obamacare has that 3.8 percent tax on everything healthcare related which means the healthcare system if it's running at zero it's actually minus 3.8 percent if there's growth, if there's economic uh, progress taking place, well, 3.8% has, you have to get 3.8% progress in order to be at a zero factor because it's taxing every transaction that's going on in the healthcare industry. Well, the same is true with what's going on with all of the weather related. The earth is about to end if we don't do something now. And so we've got 70%, as this article at the last couple of paragraphs pointed out, and I went through it really fast yesterday, 70% of the earth's surface is ocean. There are no measuring devices. There are no temperature gauges out there. And this made me think, What's the water? What's the top of the waterfall and the bottom of the waterfall? What's the cause and what's the effect of our weather? Considering that 70% of the entire world is covered in water, and as the earth spins around and we get that circulation in water, 
it seems to me that the measuring that's going on is at the bottom of the waterfall. We're measuring the effect. We have no clue, or science has no clue where the cause is. Perhaps the cause is out there in the middle of the oceans. Perhaps, and science doesn't have any kinds of measuring. I mean, they're just kicking in to using all of these great satellite tools and imaging tools. I've got one of, uh, a link on timburnshow.com that shows the elevation above the ocean and the elevations of land below the ocean. It's really a cool chart. It actually, if you could take all the water away, you could see where the deepest parts are and where the most shallow parts are. In fact, if, again, if you take away three, four, five hundred feet of sea elevation, of sea water, the Easter Island's not sitting there in the middle of nowhere. You look at some of these ridges going across the Atlantic Ocean and the southern Atlantic Ocean. You can almost envision how species traveled from one continent to the other during the Ice Age when most of the H2O was frozen. If there's the same amount of H2O and you have it very warm, it's going to be a lot of melting. The oceans are going to be full. If you have H2O and it's very cold, that's going to turn to a solid. There's going to be naturally less water in the ocean. And I've come across many articles that talk about however many thousands, tens of thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years ago, what they know from digging deep into soil underneath oceans, even under the Mediterranean Sea. You know, if you dig deep, I saw a program digging deep under the Mediterranean Sea, and you think, oh, the Mediterranean Sea, that's always been salt. It's always been a salty atmosphere. Hey, it can't be anything other than that because of the Straits of Gibraltar, and there's the, the intake for the Mediterranean Sea. And yet when they did some drilling, like they do the ice core drillings, they did some drilling into the bottom of the Mediterranean, into the... Uh, uh, you know, below the, the surface where the, where the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea is, and they came up with all sorts of fresh water fossils, all sorts of proof that at one point the Mediterranean Sea was not seawater. And that makes sense. If you've got the, the ice sheets retreating from the last ice age and you can, you have to, all you have to do is go to Iowa and you can see the results. They call them moraines and drumlins. This is when the ice came this way and then when it retreated, it left because the ice weighed quite a bit. In fact, the whole Great Lakes are a, a result of that pullback and all the weight that was underneath those ice sheets, leaving those depressions and it naturally running off to those. Same principle with the Mediterranean Sea, which makes you think, were the Straits of Gibraltar at one point a giant ridge of land that held, that separated the seawater of the Atlantic Ocean from the Mediterranean Sea? It, it could only make sense. In fact, you could even take it one step further. What happened 
to cause all that fresh water in the Mediterranean Sea to now all of a sudden become salt water? Was there some cataclysmic earthquake perhaps? Was that what now we call the Straits of Gibraltar that has that gap opening where the seawater is coming in? Perhaps at one point that was blocked and then it, an earthquake or something caused it to fall and flood in there? Makes you think about all the myths regarding the floods across lots, a great flood across all the cultures that, well, we're all around the Mediterranean Sea, doesn't it? All right, we'll be right back on the Tim Burns Show here on 810 KLVZ. Tim Burns for Nominal Exhibit Services. You know, big business is done at these conventions. And if you are already participating in your industry's convention and somehow it just isn't working right, maybe your venue has moved from one city to the next and labor is a complete hassle. You know what it takes to have smooth logistics. I encourage you to give Nominal Exhibit Services a call at 303-901-9090. One phone call does it all. They manage the entire process. So again, take the hassles out. Call Nominal. 303-901-9090. Hey, John, what's up? Hey, Dave. I'm going to get Sue something from this really cool jewelry website. What's the special occasion? There isn't one, but I was talking to Hank, and he said he went to JT Jewelry and got Jill something. And funny story, he was watching a movie and heard the line, the key to a woman's heart is an unexpected gift at an unexpected time. He goes to JT Jewelry and not only got our pair of earrings, he got our pendant too. He gives her the earrings and she loved them. A few minutes later, he gives her the pendant and tells her, let's go to the jewelry store and get fitted into a necklace that's just the way you want it. He got her two pieces of jewelry? Yeah, he said the prices were so good he couldn't resist, but the story gets better. They went to a company outing and the boss's wife saw the pendant and just loved it. Jill was a hit of the party. That must have made him feel good. Good? Hank said the night might have been even better than his wedding night. (laughs) (laughs) What's that website again? JT-Jewelry.com All right, welcome back here. Anyway, to finish up, I guess I got a little off track. I got one paragraph, and I went off for 10 minutes before I could even get to the paragraph. Well, that's the way it goes. Sometimes I wander just a little bit because, again, with 30 years plus with the homework under my belt and 30 years worth of stuff to talk about and only an hour to do it, sometimes all that stuff wants to come out at once. And my job is to make sure I present it and have it come down in some sort of order, come out in some sort of orderly fashion. Anyway, 70% of the Earth's surface is ocean, and there are absolutely no measuring devices at those surfaces to give them any information. So what do these two administrations do, NOAA and NASA? What do they do? Well, they do apparently what they do best now. And that's just make it up as they go along. You start with a premise. You only look for stuff. And in their case, they can't find any stuff that fits their premise. So what's the next step? Well, if we can't find any real facts that fit the premise, we're the smart guys. We're the ones in control of the information. Let's just make it up because we really need the money. So anyway, uh, much of the coverage that they use to create 
all of the new temperature readings to come to the conclusion that July was the hottest ever on record. Now, again, we're here in Colorado. We know that's not the case. We can remember four years back in 2011, four years ago, when this state was about to burn up, we know the difference in temperatures. In fact, we had like two straight months worth of what we experienced yesterday and the day before as far as temperatures. We had our two warmest temperatures, 96 and 97 degrees yesterday, which I think tied a record. We haven't hit 100 for, well, I think since 2011. We haven't even hit 100 degrees yet. In 2011, there were six days in one month that hit 100 degrees. Again, cycles, weather cycles, weather patterns. What's the source? Well, I think the ocean is a big source. Plus, the most obvious source is the sun itself. And in fact, I can't. Uh, this has been sitting in the stack for a long, long time. The sun is cooling. Global warming in northern Europe and the eastern U.S., could be partially offset in future winters because of the sun, which is entering a weaker cycle similar to one to the one which enabled frost fairs to take place on the River Thames in the 17th and 18th century, according to a new research report. The study said any potential weakening in solar activity would have only a small effect on temperature rises at a worldwide level, delaying the warming caused by emissions from cars, factories. So they actually, in this, actually confronted the whole idea that emissions from cars and factories and power plants are actually the main root and main cause. They use that. So I guess that helped them get into probably some newspapers they wouldn't have. They probably said, hey, look, we're catering to your information. We're listing your information. Don't throw us out with the bathwater just because you only want slanted type information going out to whoever is viewing and or reading whatever you're giving them. Even if you do go into Mondar minimum conditions, that's a term, I guess, that they're relating to what happened in the 17th and the 18th centuries. It's not going to combat global warming. Oh, well, I guess we're getting it. They're saying that the sun is cooling that it's going to cause cooler temperatures, but it still doesn't matter because we're the ones doing all the damage. Mother Nature is much more powerful as a filter, and we just haven't even scratched the surface as far as figuring out, putting together all the different kinds of information all the different kinds of cycles. We don't even take our climate scientists who are running this show. They don't even take into account that the sun has anything to do with it. Again, they're not going to the source. They're not going to the cause. They're using everything from the effect point of view. They're catching water at the bottom of the waterfall and pretending they know what's going on up at the top of the cliff there without actually climbing the cliff and looking to see what's there. Same thing with the sun. Start all of your studies laying out every solar cycle, then every 
once every 100-year flood, once every five-year, start plotting those out. Wipe your slate clean and start over and put all the information on one table. Don't put it on separate tables and certainly don't put it on a table here and then another table that's 50 miles away because you'll never be able to weigh it out in the context that it should be weighed out. I view it and I put it in terms of pieces of the puzzle. And that's my pursuit of happiness is hunting for pieces of the puzzle. If you hunt and you keep putting those pieces on the table, they will fall together naturally by themselves. Quit being, it's amazing that science, the ones who promote as, at least from the quote evolution point of view, that it's all about slow but sure transitional gradual change. And yet when it comes to an outcome they, that they have to achieve by the day after tomorrow, they throw that all out. There's no such thing as patience in science, especially when it comes to all of what's global weather related. They don't have any patience whatsoever. That's a real clear indicator. You know, I talked about, we'll get to this really quickly because I talked about Einstein and his pursuit and how he was, I mean, the guy was diligent. He had an unbelievable, unquenchable desire to want to know the makeup of energy, the makeup of matter to the smallest pieces. And I put it in the context that he saw the scientific community with this brand new theory of random chaos because I guess that's probably where the impatience started. Hey, we don't have time to go around and find all the information we need. Let's make some presumptions. Well, once you start doing that, and since their presumptions weren't becoming very conclusive, those pieces weren't fitting very well together, well, what's the easy thing to do? Hey, random chaos. It just happened. Well, Einstein saw that. He saw the random chaos theory being built, watched the entire scientific, and I told you, one of his famous quotes, God does not play dice with the universe because he saw where they were going and he saw that in his studies, let me read you a couple of quotes and they're really, really profound. It just shows you about the diligence in the hunt for information. And remember, Albert Einstein found himself in one of the most unique positions in the world. He didn't graduate high school. It was boring. There was an education system that couldn't hold his attention. But he knew what he wanted to know. He had this desire to want to know this stuff. And somehow, where did he end up? In a great time of discovery, he ended up right in the middle of the patent office where all of, again, (laughs) there was no internet. And there were plenty of libraries, but guess what? Albert Einstein didn't have to go to the library because all of the information was coming to him, whether they were new theories, just like his theory of relativity, which was submitted to a patent office. There was all kinds of theories. There were all sorts of elements being discovered, brand new elements, all 
kinds of scientific thought. And Albert Einstein was basically able to review all of it. Not only did he have an unquenchable desire, not only did he do his own hunting, his own due diligence, his own homework, he had the homework coming to him while he was, I think, 26 years old in the patent office. Talk about being in the right place at the right time. Well, he had some very good summary quotes about his entire experience regarding the hunt and then the conclusions he based on that pursuit, that hunt, and what he discovered. So we're going to come back from the break and get to these two quotes that I think are a very good understanding of the difference between the scientific landscape now and what a true blue scientist should be. Stick around, everyone. Hi, I'm Amy Grant. When it comes to supporting our military, the American Red Cross is proud to serve those who serve us. When emergencies happen, the Red Cross helps connect service members with their families. There are many ways you can get involved, from volunteering at military or veterans hospitals to helping military families cope with the challenges of deployments. Please support the American Red Cross service to the armed forces. Go to redcross.org. Thank you. Um, where are the cereals? Aisle two. Oh, thanks. What on earth are you cleaning up? Uh, can't tell. Either someone's love handles or their belly. Excuse me? Yep, more people are losing weight and getting healthy thanks to small step number 121. Eat before grocery shopping. Makes you less tempted to buy junk food. Clean up on aisle five. Ugh, please don't let it be someone's thunder thighs. Take a small step to get healthy at smallstep.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Tim Burns for DoggyDogWorldRescue.com. Are you looking for an adoptable pet that's been rescued from abandonment or abuse? You know, there's a lot of different dogs out there. You can get a dog that goes from abandonment and abuse to a cage and then to you. That will never happen at DoggyDogWorldRescue.com. Why? Because they have a great rehabilitation system that helps the animal find who itself is. So I encourage you, anywhere on the front range, if you're looking for a dog, go to DoggyDogWorldRescue.com. All right, welcome back here. Uh, let's get right to a couple of quotes from Albert Einstein that will give you a very, very solid understanding of what he was about, what his whole life was about as far as his pursuit of wanting to understand the basic ingredients of matter, of the atom, of E equals MC squared. In fact, if you look at the sun and understand E equals energy, M equals mass or volume, and C equals light, C squared, E equals MC squared. Now, if you do a little algebraic shuffle there, you get matter is energy divided by light. That almost defines our sun. In fact, E equals MC squared defines what goes on inside our sun. He really defined it quite well. Energy, the energy from the sun equals 
the matter times the light or the matter and light in combination providing that energy. It's pretty amazing what he did. And yet, <laughs> in this day and age, even though ask 99 out of 100 scientists who their top three scientific heroes are, 99 out of 100 will tell you Einstein, and it seems like they're going au contraire to what Einstein tried to advise the entire scientific... Hey, God does not play dice with the universe. Everything goes together. There is a reason for everything. The further you go, the more things fall into place. The more things, the more pieces of the puzzle actually fit. Instead of trying to find an... Like scientists do, it's like the climate-related stuff. It's all about finding one piece of the puzzle, and you make it up as you go along. All right, here's the two quotes by Einstein. But whoever has undergone this intense experience of successful advances made in this domain. Einstein's talking about his pursuit of wanting to know this stuff. His genius mind, his scientifically genius mind. And the pursuit thereof. You could have a genius mind. If you don't have the desire to want to know stuff, it doesn't matter how genius your mind is. It doesn't matter on any type of subject. If you don't have the desire to want to know stuff, then you're going to be at the whim of an ocean and its waves and having no sail to guide you. The guiding is the desire to want to know. That's how you start your journey. So here's Einstein talking about the successful advances in order to get to the point where he got to. He had to do the seek and you shall find. Well, that's what Einstein's desire was. He sought to understand energy, matter, the atom. And he put that desire to work by doing the homework, by doing the work, by actually wanting to understand and then following through on that desire. Anybody who has made, what he's talking about is, hey, look, I'm not really the genius you necessarily want me to be. Put me up on that pedestal, that's fine. But in order to get there, you have to want to know this stuff. He did, and he was rewarded for it. Perhaps unlike any science scientist ever. Anybody, whoever has undergone the intense experience of successful advances made in this domain, science, is moved by the profound reverence now, Einstein's using these words not lightly, just like Thomas Jefferson doesn't use words lightly, is moved by the profound reverence. Why would he use reverence? Isn't that got a, uh, a godly connotation to it, a religious connotation to it? Well, he used the word for a specific reason, is moved by the profound reverence for the rationality made manifest in existence. That is a complete opposite 
to where science has gone. Science is where? Science is in the realm of random chaos. Stuff just happens. And because stuff just happens, we can come up with all sorts of theories. We can't tie them together. Oh, hey, let's create a string theory. That'll tie things together, won't it? Here's another quote. Same context. By way of the understanding. Now he's talking about his pursuit, what he garnered, what he gleaned, what he gained from his pursuit of wanting to know. By way of the understanding, you do the homework and what happens? You start to know stuff. You start to understand stuff. By way of the understanding, he achieves He, a scientist, he's talking about himself, but he's giving advice to anybody in pursuit of anything. Science is the realm here. By way of the understanding, he he achieves a far-reaching emancipation. That's profound there. His pursuit led to his understanding, which leads to the freeing of the mind from what? Probably because this is what we, it doesn't matter what generation we come from. He came from a generation where he ended up being freed from all of the conventional wisdoms of his day. Just like in every generation, there's always conventional wisdoms of the day. Sometimes those conventional wisdoms go back generation upon generation like the conventional wisdoms of understanding about who our founders were, who specifically Thomas Jefferson was. By way of the understanding, he achieves a far-reaching emancipation from the shackles of personal hopes and desires. Sometimes our pursuit, before we even pursue, we have this embedded stereotype of what should be the outcome of our pursuit. And once we start pursuing, guess what happens? Those conventional wisdoms get challenged. They, disap- they start to disappear. Personal hopes and desire, and thereby attains that humble attitude of mind toward the grandeur of... This is a really profound statement by Einstein. There's no random chaos in either one of these quotes. There's no such thing as stuff just happens. It just happened. Hey, the ingredients three and a half billion years ago in a pool of toxic ooze and a bolt of lightning comes. Or a tornado going through a junkyard and whipping together a fully fueled and functioning running 747. It's illogical. And that's what Einstein was trying to tell the rest of the scientific community with these two statements. You're going off in a direction that's just going to get you in trouble. You're going off in a direction, for lack of a better word, that's a waste of time and a waste of mind. Thereby attains that humble attitude of mind toward the grandeur of reason incarnate in existence. Out of all of Einstein's pursuit and studies, all the information he gleaned every day, at every moment, it was becoming more clear to him about the grandeur, about the nobility, 
about the unbelievable bigness of reason incarnate in existence. He's just looking at the physical world, the physical matter, the ener- the uh, physical matter, physical energy, the atom. This, this had nothing to do with anything other than the pursuit that he pursued. And yet, what did he see in his conclusions after all of his studies, after his entire life's trek? He saw that reason incarnate in existence and which in its profoundest depths is inaccessible to man. He saw it all come. He saw how all of the pieces of the puzzle fit together naturally. He kept doing homework. And I'm sure at some point he wanted to find something that was contrary, something that didn't fit together like a glove. And yet he found the grandeur of reason. Reason is not something you can find in non-living matter. But all of what he concluded, reason was incarnate in existence which leads to one thing. God does not play dice with the universe. And that wasn't his pursuit. He wasn't there to pursue God. He wasn't there to understand the depths of a potential creator. He was, he was busy doing other stuff. But those are two profound statements. Again, if you're in a science class, these two statements should be the first things taught. It should be expound. It should be thought about by kids, by students, if they could find a teacher that actually understood it without being bombarded through their schooling with a bunch of conventional wisdoms of the day. It's like historians and the stereotypes of our founding fathers. You can go back, and I'm sure that in the day and age that our founders lived or the next generation, here comes a guy who everybody looks up to Oh, wow, what a profound statement he said about our founders. I really like that statement. And so that statement or that understanding gets passed from generation to generation to generation. So pretty soon, every new generation of historian is relying on the last generation's peers, the people who were in the know. And yet when you go deep, there in the knownness was based upon the last generation before and the last generation before. And so what you really have is no new thought. You're just relying on all the conventional wisdoms being passed forward. So anyway, Einstein's in his own category when it comes to the comparisons of the science of today. And there's no finer example than what our scientists in the climate area are doing right now all right so where should we go now i hope i didn't uh, go too long on that kind of stuff well here let me give you an example of of and this is this is really turning the other side of the coin over but i pulled off considering the 14th amendment considering you know ken burns no relation make sure everybody understands that 
Ken Burns, the phenomenal PBS historian who definitely has a grasp on how racist our society is, how racist our country is, and how we haven't ever grown. You know what's the bottom line to overcoming racism, to overcoming the problems that the races have, especially in this country, is we need a landscape of prosperity. That'll be the start. You know, those two primitive men who came across each other and each had their hunt of the day and each noticed they had different, their prosperity that was over their shoulder was a different, one had a boar and one might have had a deer. And their tradition is we only hunt boars and the other one, we only hunt deers and we've never tried the other. So let's trade. Got to have something to trade. That was the prosperity. If you had food to eat in, a, in primitive man times, you were prosperous. And that's what we need in our society. We need a landscape of prosperity where everybody can be a part of it. And we don't have that whatsoever. I was, I was also, uh, I had a bunch of notes I wrote down here. And I don't think we'll get to this today. And I don't know how this is actually going to come out in an orderly fashion. But uh, I wanted to, you know, we've got the whole idea, the whole stereotype Thomas Jefferson has upon himself, has been bestowed upon with all of the brilliant minds that have labeled and stereotyped him without having any kind of an understanding of who he is. He did. The Declaration of Independence. He wrote it. Well, he had a draft, first draft, and then they had the final draft. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled, do in the name and by authority of the good people of these states, reject and renounce all allegiance and subjections to the kings of Great Britain and all others who may hereafter claim by, through, and under them, we utterly dissolve all political connection which may there heretofore have subsisted between us. You notice allegiance. We renounce all allegiance. If you were part of the British Empire, you were a subject. You weren't a citizen. I'll come back to this when we get back from break here because there was, I have on my website the actual, in parentheses, that was in the first draft and then, and then was dropped. So we'll be right back. Stick around. Tim Burns, Phenomenal Exhibit Services. The convention business is big business. Why? Because big business is done at these conventions. 20%, 40 half the business for the entire year can be done at these conventions. If it's time for your company to step up and you just don't know where to start, I encourage you to call Nominal Exhibit Services. Not one company does it all, but one company takes care of all the logistics, and that's Nominal Exhibit Services. Call them at 303-901-9090. Hey, John, what's up? Hey, Dave. Remember Hank's story about the key to a woman's heart is an unexpected gift at an unexpected time? Yeah. You were right. 
JT Jewelry does have some really cool stuff. So I did what Hank did, got Amy two pieces of jewelry, and she loved them. And that special touch of going together to the jewelry store to get her pendant just the way she wanted it worked like a charm. Next time you see Hank, tell him thanks. I will, but let me tell you another story. I saw Bill, and he looked like a truck had run him over. I asked him what was wrong, and he said he went to a bunch of other jewelry stores looking to get a gift for Jean. And they had all the same stuff, and it was nothing but bling by all the same designers. He stepped up to the pump, spent a pretty good penny, and gave it to her, and she loved it. So he was a hero. Yep, but only until they went to a wedding reception a few days later. As people were introducing themselves, a lady came up, and they both noticed they were wearing the exact same pendant. Youch! Yep, he's been in the doghouse ever since. I'm gonna guess you told him about jt-jewelry.com. Yes, I did. Oh, by the way, I don't think I mentioned the market went up 370 points today combined with 620 yesterday, almost a thousand points in two days. Want to talk about a roller coaster and oil went up over 10%. It went up over $4, I think, today. Uh, it closed at uh, 42 something, and I believe it was at in the 38 low 38 or mid 38 range so it had a noticeable hike upwards so i guess this all means that goldilocks is back wow that five-day period that's just a glitch let's move on market's got to go higher let's keep investing because it's the only place you can make money anyway all right let's get to this here Again, in the link I have, the, the uh, Declaration of Independence link, you'll see that the link it's tied to has in brackets the words that Thomas Jefferson originally used in the first draft, and by the time it got to second draft, re-edited, that kind of thing. For instance, when Thomas Jefferson put first put uh, in his first draft we hold these truths we know as self-evident. But his first draft, which Benjamin Franklin helped him say, you know, let's just use, and either or, they both would have been, in my world, they would have been great uses of words. But we hold these truths to be sacred. Now, I'm going to read this other quote of Thomas Jefferson's, and here's the background and the context. According to what we're supposed to understand about Thomas Jefferson, he was so diehard on separating church and state. And of course, he was a deist as part of his background to separate church and state. And that was his only goal, was to make sure there was well, what they've done in the what they've done in our world and in our age now is not only separating of church and state, but making sure that it gets stomped out. Any idea of God in the public forum is not allowed, and that was not the pattern that Thomas Jefferson 
set the tone with. In fact, the first public university I've told you, he had pastors from different religions, different denominations, right there next to the library on campus. He invited them within the walls of the first public university. Now, if Thomas Jefferson was so adamant like we've been taught that that was his real war and his only war to make sure he trounced out any religion, any talk of God in this new America, then I don't think we'd be hearing about the types of words he actually used. It's one thing, and this is the thing about all of the history, all of what we have regarding Thomas Jefferson, he's got hundreds of thousands of words available for us to review. I don't need to go to some expert in this generation or last generation to tell me what Thomas Jefferson believes because I can go right to Thomas Jefferson's words and make up my own mind about what he's thinking. So here, Thomas Jefferson, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That's what Ben Franklin advised him to put in. And self-evident, that's even, that's even good too. Self-evident, containing, this is a dictionary definition, containing its own evidence or proof without need or of further demonstration. It's crystal clear. What was crystal clear? We hold these truths to be self-evident. Well, he follows it up that all men are created equal. Well, hold it. We know all men are, are created equal. How can that be? I got my fingerprint. I got my DNA. Even back in Thomas Jefferson's time, nobody ever ran across somebody who looked exactly like them. What is he talking about? That we are all created equal. We are endowed by our creator. That endowment, that image, as it's known, created in our image, in our likeness. Well, we have to understand what that image actually is because religion tends to put a lot of human characteristics and they get caught going astray in that regard. You need to strip off the human characteristics of who God is. So, Thomas Jefferson wanted to use the word sacred. We hold these truths to be sacred. You know what sacred means? Now, this will go all contrary to what the stereotype of Thomas Jefferson is. Devoted or dedicated to a deity or to some religious purpose. Ben Franklin had to talk Jefferson out of using this word. This was the word Thomas Jefferson wanted to use. We hold these truths to be sacred, consecrated, entitled to veneration or religious respect by association with divinity or divine things wholly pertaining to or connected with religion, reverently dedicated to some person, purpose, or object. Don't think for a second Thomas Jefferson didn't understand the words he liked to use. In fact, here's one more quote before we come to a close here. This, is com this came from the Declaration of Independence further in instead of the first line. <clears throat> and I read it to you. By skipping over, we therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, now this is dissolving the relationship and the subjugation. We're no longer subjects of the king. We are going to be citizens of the United States. A vast difference. We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress, assembled 
this what, what was pulled out of it, but this is what Jefferson originally had in the first draft. Appealing to the judge of the world for the recititude of our intentions. Appealing to the judge of the world. Anybody guess what that's in reference to? Now, why would Jefferson, if he was so adamant on stomping out any idea of religion or God in this new experiment, American civilization, why would he even consider putting that in there? Because it's who Thomas Jefferson was. Recititude. Morally correct behavior or thinking. Righteousness. Appealing to the judge of the world for the righteousness of our intentions. That's what he had in the Declaration. And he's supposed to be a deist? We'll get to that one show. It'll be a whole show. All right, everybody. I hope you, uh, we went off a little sub, a uh, little change of pace here regarding politics and current events, and I hope it worked. Have a great day, TimBurnShow.com, and don't forget to tell someone you know about the Tim Burns Show. Thank you.